Hello and welcome to the Pets Weekly Podcast. My name is Lindy and I will be your host for every episode as we discuss all things pets. Today I've got a great episode for you guys. We are talking about one of the most popular dog breeds, the Labrador Retriever. We see this beautiful breed in a variety of settings such as TV shows, movies, search and rescue, law enforcement, and service, and so much more. We will talk about what makes this breed in particular so versatile and so loved, the origin of the breed, their behavior and training, health, and more in today's episode. Are you thinking about bringing a lab into your life, or do you already have one? Either way, we will cover a lot of valuable information and learn everything there is to know in our deep dive into the Labrador Retriever. Just a quick disclaimer, any generalizations that I make about breeds, ages, temperaments, or behaviors are simply that, just generalizations. These are things that are typically seen. In no way do these generalizations cover every dog and pet parent. Everyone is going to have a different situation, and just like people, dogs are individuals. They all have their own likes, dislikes, fears, personalities, etc. Now let's dive in. The dog we know of as the fun-loving lab originally was named the St. John's Water Dog, and they were initially bred by European settlers on the island of Newfoundland, in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, a northerly region of Canada. The history and ancestry of the lab we know today began in the 19th century. According to the American Kennel Club, the St. John's Water Dog, by the name of Nell, was the first photographed St. John's Dog. If you are watching on YouTube, I will insert a picture so that you can see this handsome boy. If you are a listener, the picture is in black and white, and Nell has a dark coat with what appears to be a white muzzle and white tips on his feet. It looks like he's wearing little white boots. He's very cute. Nell was born in 1856, and he was the ancestor of the modern retrievers, including the flat-coated retriever, curly-coated retriever, the Chesapeake Bay retriever, the golden retriever, and the Newfoundland. Historical documentation suggests that the island of Newfoundland saw dogs as human companions and helpers as far back as into the 1500s. At this time, dogs were fantastic hunting and fishing companions, and the people of Newfoundland greatly appreciated all that the dogs had to offer. These athletic and high-energy dogs had short hair, which was preferable to the long-haired breeds for work in the water because the long-haired breeds would become weighed down, and surprisingly, they did not fare as well in cold and icy conditions as some of the short-haired breeds. The retriever coat is made to wick away water and protect the dog from cold temperatures more than the average breed of dog. 
Newfoundland fishermen would use the St. John's water dog to help them pull ropes from boat to boat, retrieve fish that had floated free of nets or hooks, and to assist in pulling in nets from the water. The St. John's hard-working behavior, loyalty, and loving temperament were valuable traits in a working dog, and the breed was highly prized by the fishermen. The Labrador Retriever was officially recognized as a breed by the United Kingdom Kennel Club in 1903, and the first registration of a Labrador Retriever in the American Kennel Club was a little later in 1917. The AKC, or American Kennel Club, has something called a breed standard. According to their website, a breed standard is a description of the ideal dog of each recognized breed to serve as an ideal against which dogs are judged at shows originally laid down by a parent breed club and accepted officially by national or international bodies. The Labrador Retriever's average height standard is 22.5 to 24.5 inches for a male and 21.5 to 23.5 inches for a female. The average weight standard is 65 to 80 pounds for a male and 55 to 70 pounds for a female. The average life expectancy is not nearly enough at 11 to 13 years, which is pretty typical for most large breeds of dogs that are about the same size as the Labrador Retriever. The AKC goes on to explain that the breed's typical characteristics, physical traits, social behavior, personality, and more are full of joy and impeccable social skills. The lab is said to be very lovey-dovey and a good family dog. They are typically good with children and other dogs. They can be good with other species, but it is important to keep in mind that they were bred to be hunters and some have a strong prey drive and can be very, very excitable when it comes to seeing an animal running like a small cat or a furry animal. Be sure to use positive reinforcement and patience when introducing a lab to another species. Labs have a short double coat and are pretty heavy shedders and require daily brushing and grooming. Most are not big droolers, but some may drool, especially when yummy food is placed in front of them. The breed is known to be everyone's best friend, but also to be protective to some extent when it comes to their territory and property. This has a lot to do with the way a dog is brought up and their environment so this can vary greatly. But generally speaking, labs are very social and open dogs. They make friends quickly and are known to be social butterflies. They can be pretty pushy for affection and they will make sure you know that they are there. Labs require a lot of attention, mental stimulation, and physical stimulation, so it is important to keep that in mind when considering a lab as a new family member. Labrador Retrievers were bred to work for long hours on a daily basis, so these dogs require a lot more than the average dog. 
They will need a substantial amount of exercise every single day, whether you feel like it or not. Rain or shine, and in hot or cold weather, labs don't take days off. They are extremely playful and highly intelligent. If you do not provide them with a consistent mental and physical outlet, they will find things to occupy their time, and I can assure you that you will not like some of the things that they come up with. Labs are notorious for putting everything in their mouth. Again, that's what they were bred to do initially. So I get a lot of calls from pet parents that have labs that are destroying their house or they're constantly eating things outside and inside the home. Usually the dog is a puppy or up to the age of about three or four. This is the age range when I get most behavioral calls for help from pet parents and especially for labs and other working breeds. When a dog that was bred to work is not given a job or consistent mental and physical exercise, you are going to have behavioral issues. This is also the age range when labs and working breeds typically find themselves in animal shelters. It is to no fault of their own, they were just never given what they require to be happy, balanced, and fulfilled. That is why it is critical that pet parents do their research before bringing home a dog. You have to make sure that you are adopting a dog that matches your lifestyle and schedule. Puppies are cute, but they are a tremendous amount of work, and they hit their teen years and now they are just puppies that are a lot bigger, smarter, stronger, and faster. And you won't see it calm down until around three or four years old, and that's if you're meeting all of their needs. I can't tell you how many clients I have had over the years that are in their late 60s and 70s, and they get a puppy or an adolescent lab, and they are ripping their hair out a week later. For dog trainers like myself, it can be incredibly frustrating seeing the same thing over and over and over again. The reality of the situation is that these well-meaning people did not think about what is best for the puppy before getting the dog home. They thought about what they wanted. They wanted a cute puppy to raise. They want to watch the puppy get bigger and learn cute tricks. What the puppy needs is not the same as what the human can give or even wants to give sometimes. The puppy needs constant attention and exercise, not just playing with toys, but they need to go for walks, they need to go places, meet people and other dogs, and they need to be monitored constantly. Your house is going to turn into a puppy-proofed dog gate fortress and you're going to have to make significant compromises to your home and life. There is just no way around it. That is the reality of bringing home a puppy or even a adolescent dog that is about one to three or four years of age. Even if you puppy-proof like crazy, you are going to find something else that you never thought of that your puppy can reach or destroy that you will have to move or alter in some way. You have to be flexible and for the love of God, you have to be patient. 
You have to be able to laugh and just shake your head sometimes. Do not scold and yell and damage your relationship. Scolding or correcting a puppy or adult dog is simply ridiculous. You are scolding a baby or, you know, a teenage dog or an adult dog that is just being a dog. They don't understand why you're yelling at them or what your problem is. They just see that you're upset and that you're angry and it just makes them trust you less. No matter what kind of dog you're bringing home, whether it's young or old, if you're bringing home a lab, you need to be prepared to puppy-proof and to give that lab a lot of attention and exercise on a regular basis. I was just at a woman's house for a private session recently. She is 71 and has a lab puppy, and boy is she in over her head. Maybe a few months old at most, and she put a prong collar on this poor puppy and had a leash attached to him 24-7 so that she could correct, I'm using air quotes, correct his behavior. <laughs> Needless to say, he started to become very aggressive with her and did not listen to her at all. And you know what, puppy? Same. I'm with you. I would be the exact same way. You get what you give in life, and that rings true when it comes to animals. I helped the woman the best that I could. I gave it everything I had, and I explained to her, from the puppy's perspective, why he is behaving the way that he is. And for his sake, I really hope she listened and finds that kindness, compassion, and patience is going to get her a lot further, and I really hope that she sticks with it. After I explained to her why the puppy was doing what he was doing, she seemed to really understand that the frustration and, at times, anger that she was putting into the relationship was causing the majority of the issues. You can get a lot more accomplished Sometimes when you just don't say anything and you use your body language or when you make eye contact or when you just simply show your dog what to do instead of what they're doing that you don't like. We've already scheduled several other appointments, so I am hopeful that we can make some progress and get their relationship back on track. When you do your research before bringing any animal home and you truly and fully understand what you are getting into, that is when you can enjoy puppyhood. You don't have all these rose-colored ideas of what having a puppy will be like or what it was like when you were 15 and your parents took care of the dog and trained the dog and you just played fetch in the backyard every once in a while. We also tend to forget the bad, and it allows us to go out and try again. The reward of the relationship with a dog outweighs any challenges in my opinion, but people tend to forget how much work a new puppy is that they had 30 years ago, and then they say things to me like, is my puppy just stupid? Is there any hope? Why wasn't my last puppy like this? Or if they have an adolescent dog, why wasn't my last dog like this? Or why wasn't my last Labrador Retriever like this? 
some people just don't think before they bring home a puppy or adult dog in general. And Labrador Retrievers are unfortunately a very common dog that people bring home and have misconceptions about. Of course, Labs are typically very social and very friendly dogs. They're really one of a kind and just absolute joys to have as companions. But they come with a lot of exercise. They come with a lot of mental stimulation and a lot of training. And you absolutely cannot put these things off. You can't get lazy. And you really just have to be honest with yourself about the type of dog that you can actually deal with. And that's how you can figure out what kind of breed or temperament is the best for you. You just have to be honest with yourself. And if you're an active person or an active family that is constantly going out and doing things, running, biking, um, likes to go camping, go exploring, then you would be a perfect fit for a lab. If you have acreage, if you have a job for them to do, if you take them to agility classes a few times a week and work on training with them in between and taking them for long walks every single day, then you're a good fit for a lab. So it's just a matter of being honest with yourself and your situation and making the best choice for you and your next dog. Some people just don't think before they bring home a puppy or adult dog in general. They just don't and they are punished for it and even worse than that, the animal is punished for it. Maybe they grew up with the perfect lab and I'm using air quotes by the way. I always hear, my other lab wasn't like this that I had 20 or 30 years ago. My other lab didn't do this or do that. Then I have to respectfully remind the pet parent that this is a different puppy, and this is a different adult dog, and every dog is different, and the behaviors that you're seeing are what puppies do, or they are what teenage or adolescent dogs do. Or, this is what labs do. They chew things. Puppies and adolescents, they tend to destroy things. They push boundaries. They climb on tables. They make messes. They shred furniture. They forget to take a nap and begin biting you and running around the house like a crazed lunatic. It's a puppy, people. It's a teenager. This is what they do. And when you have a Labrador you're going to see these behaviors even more if you're not giving them the proper outlets, the proper exercise, the proper positive reinforcement training, and the proper mental stimulation. They are so cute when they're sleeping. <laughs> it's just the way it is. They're super cute. If you're, you know, seeing a picture of a dog online and you know, they're sleepy and they're, you know, adorable and they're really cute and you're like, oh my god, I just have to have this dog. You, you need to do your research first. You need to kind of pump the brakes. You need to meet with this dog or puppy a number of times, uh, preferably if you can um, get a lab from a breed-specific lab rescue. They really know the breed super well, so that can give you a leg up. 
um, your general local rescues, they have labs constantly. They have lab mixes, they have purebred labs, so they're very used to handling this breed. So they can tell you for sure if you're making a good choice, if this is a good fit for you and your family, and that's, you know, typically most rescues and shelters. They're going to try to educate the public, they're going to try to put dogs in proper homes, but at the end of the day, it is your responsibility to do the research. You can't rely on anybody else to do it for you. You are the person that's going to be having this dog in their life for the rest of the dog's life, so it's important that you are the one that makes a mature decision, that makes a research decision to bring in the right dog. And for some people, labs can be the perfect companion, and for other people, it is way too much. So you just gotta, gotta do your research, people. It's just the way it is. <laughs> and there's rarely an in-between when dogs are very young. They're either tearing through the house like a bull in a china shop, or they are passed out on the floor with a toy in their mouth from running through the house like a bull in a china shop. So if a lab is a dog that you would like, but you're not too crazy about all the puppy energy or the adolescent energy, maybe look for a lab that is over four years old or over five or six years old. That might be a better energy level for you, but even then, you still have to make sure you pick the right dog with the right temperament because I have personally seen dogs that are, they're actually seniors and they have the energy of a one or two year old dog. So again, they're all different. You can't really compare um, dogs by a dog that you've had in the past or your neighbor's dog. Even if they're the same breed, even if they're all labs, they're all going to be completely different. So it's important to keep that in mind. When you buy or adopt a lab puppy or any other breed that was bred to work, or if you're bringing an adult lab into your home, you are bringing those genetics into your home regardless of your intentions or vision for how you want things to be. You can't fight genetics and you can't fight nature. You have to give the animal what they need or they will do what they need to do to release that energy that will turn into frustration and anxiety. When you bring home any animal, make sure that you are a good fit for the species, breed, age, and temperament of that animal. That is your responsibility. That precious creature is depending on you, and only you. It is critical you do your research and make the right choice for everyone's sake, especially the animal. Now that we have covered some behavior and training topics, let's talk about the health of the Labrador Retriever. There are a variety of health issues that labs and other large breed dogs are prone to, so we are going to discuss those now. According to Dr. Marcel Lanstoy, DVM, from VetPetGuide.com, as your dog grows bigger, his hip bone may grow faster than his thigh bone, resulting in loose hip joints. 
This looseness not only disrupts your puppy's movement, but also irritates the bones, making them more prone to progressive wear. This condition is known as hip dysplasia. In essence, hip dysplasia is a genetic disease. The American Kennel Club says that Labrador Retrievers are born with genes that can derail the growth rate, but genetics isn't the only risk factor here. Anything that puts excessive stress on your dog's joints can make them more likely to develop hip dysplasia. Beware of things like obesity and too much excessive exercise. In severe cases, your dog may start having pain and abnormal gait at four months of age. On the other hand, mild cases may not reveal any symptoms until after the dog matures. In either case, the following symptoms may suggest that your dog has hip dysplasia. Decreased activity, restricted range of motion, difficulty jumping, running, or climbing stairs, lameness in the affected joints, bunny hopping gait, joint grating, pain, and joint stiffness. Keep in mind that hip dysplasia worsens with time. Consult your vet as soon as you can so that you can discuss with your vet how you can go about giving your dog some relief. Vets usually discover hip dysplasia in routine checkups. They'll move your dog's leg in a certain way to look for looseness or grating. If anything seems off during the physical exam, your vet will request x-rays and blood tests to confirm the diagnosis. When it comes to treatment, your vet will prescribe anti-inflammatory drugs and joint supplements to prevent the irritation from damaging your dog's bones. In addition to medications, your vet will suggest lifestyle modifications to reduce joint stress, such as weight reduction and physical therapy. If your dog's case remains bad despite all efforts, surgery may be the only solution. A veterinary surgeon may reshape your dog's bones to make them fit better. Still, extreme cases will require complete joint replacement. It's important to talk to your vet whenever you see any signs of changes in comfort with your dog's joints, especially when they're a larger breed dog. Another health issue that is common in labs and in large breeds is bloat. Labrador retrievers seem to have one of the most intense appetites of all breeds, which is why they usually fork down their food once you fill up their bowls. But if you serve one large meal instead of two or three smaller ones, you might be exposing your pet to a severe condition known as bloat. Bloat happens when your dog's stomach fills up with too much food and gas. As it enlarges, it puts pressure on the surrounding blood vessels, increasing the risk of collapse and organ failure. In extreme cases, the stomach may even twist on itself, closing both the entrance and the exit. That twisting will trap more gas and worsen the condition faster. Some symptoms to look out for are an enlarged abdomen, 
dry retching, which is trying to vomit but nothing is coming out, pacing and restlessness, drooling, lying in a praying position with the legs drawn forward, heavy breathing, rapid pulse rate, pale gums, and collapse. If your dog starts showing any of the previous symptoms within three hours after finishing his meal, take him to the nearest vet as soon as possible. Remember that bloat is a life-threatening emergency that requires immediate veterinary care. If your dog arrives at the vet with an enlarged abdomen, the priority will be relieving that pressure. Your vet will first try to insert a tube down your dog's throat and into the stomach, but that won't work if the stomach has already twisted. The second solution would be puncturing the skin and the stomach's wall with a large needle. After stabilizing your dog's condition, your vet will take x-rays to see if the stomach is twisted. If so, they'll perform surgery to untwist it and remove any dead tissue. To help slow your dog down from eating too fast, you can purchase products like slow feeders, puzzle toys, and snuffle mats. These are great products for any dog because dogs love a challenge and they need mental stimulation. But for dogs, typically labs that eat their meals too fast, a product that slows them down and makes them work for their food will help a lot. Also, it is important to keep your dog from exercising for at least one to two hours after his or her meal depending on their energy level. This gives your dog time to properly and safely digest his or her food. Another medical concern for the Labrador Retriever is progressive retinal atrophy, also known as PRA. The retina is the rarest most part of the eye. It's rich in tiny receptors that can transform light into electrical signals that the brain can understand. In dogs suffering from PRA, the retina degenerates with time, which causes gradual vision loss. Because PRA is a genetic condition, your dog will be at higher risk if his parents had it. According to Cornell University, Labrador Retrievers are among the most common breeds to be affected by this condition. The following symptoms may appear between 3 and 9 years of age. Rapid loss of night vision, followed by loss of daytime vision, cloudy eyes, reluctance to go downstairs, repetitive bumping into walls, dilated pupils, and cataracts forming. First, your vet will use a flashlight to evaluate your dog's reflexes. If they're too sluggish, that might be indicative of PRA. To reach a definite diagnosis, you'll need to consult a veterinary ophthalmologist, also known as a veterinary eye doctor, who can examine the retina with an ophthalmoscope. There's a more advanced test known as an ERG, which measures the retina's electrical signals. It's the most accurate test, but it may not be available in smaller cities. Unfortunately, as of right now, PRA is untreatable, and most cases progress into total blindness with age. Hopefully, in a few years or down the road, we will get some sort of 
help with these specific conditions regarding the eyes to keep dogs from going completely blind. It's incredible how technology has progressed in so many other ways. So I would love to see some changes in the way that veterinary ophthalmology can help save dogs' vision. It's also important to note that a lot of dogs, if they're just dealing with blindness, even if they've had vision their whole life, they can really adapt very quickly to losing vision. And it also is the same for hearing as well. Dogs are resilient and they are very brave and courageous and they overcome ob obstacles way faster than people do. So that's just something to keep in mind if your dog ever does become diagnosed with PRA and at some point you're concerned that they may lose their vision. Dogs are incredible and they can overcome so many things. The next health issue is something that most pet parents may have never heard of and it even has a strange name to go with this unusual condition. Dead tail, also known as limber and cold tail, is a common condition affecting Labrador retrievers and other active breeds. As the name implies, dogs affected by this condition will suddenly stop wagging their tails. This condition usually happens after long walks in cold weather, swimming for too long, and spending too much time in a crate. All these incidents will strain your dog's tail muscles, causing it to become flaccid. A completely limp tail that drops vertically right from the base is a sign that your dog may be suffering from dead tail. Also, a partially limp tail that drops vertically about 10 centimeters away from the base. Another thing is pain when you try to move the tail, reluctance to play, licking or chewing at the tail, and other things that seem unusual in your dog's behavior associated with their tail. Any vet will instantly diagnose a dead tail by a simple physical examination. However, your vet may perform other tests to rule out conditions like a tail fracture, invertebral disc, disc disease, osteoarthritis, inflammation of the anal glands, and prostate disease. Since overworked muscles cause a dead tail, it doesn't require any treatment. It just requires that your dog rests for a while and he'll wag his tail again after a couple of days at the most. If the pain is too severe and your dog keeps whining or seems very uncomfortable, your vet will prescribe some pain medications to keep him comfortable as he heals. According to LovingYourLab.com, cancer is a common issue that labs and their pet parents face. Cancer is the number one killer of dogs ages 10 and older. In fact, dogs are three times more likely to develop cancer than humans. However, with recent developments and treatments, cancer is not the death sentence it once was. Just like in humans, early detection is key to getting treatment on time. Common signs to watch for are abdominal or strange swelling in the stomach that continues to grow, or swelling 
or abnormal growths on any part of the body, any strange bleeding or discharges, difficulty breathing, difficulty relieving his or herself, loss of appetite or difficulty eating, persistent lipping or loss of stamina, if you see some sores that won't heal, uh, unexplained weight loss, and a strong expensive odor from his or her mouth. If you notice any of these signs or anything abnormal, it's important that you get your dog checked immediately. The sooner cancer is detected, the sooner it can be treated. Some treatments that are available are surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. Heart disease is another common health concern for labs in particular. Heart disease is quite common in dogs, especially in older ones. Even healthy dogs can develop the condition, but it is still a good practice to keep your lab up to date on vaccines. Make sure he eats healthy food, drinks lots of water, and gets plenty of exercise. Some symptoms that may indicate heart disease in your Labrador are fatigue, coughing, loss of weight, abdomen swelling, trouble breathing, and weight loss. If your dog exhibits any of these symptoms, take him to the vet immediately. The most common heart disease in labs is tricuspid valve dysplasia, also known as TVD. This is a congenital condition and usually affects males. This is present at birth, and it is a defect in the valve located on the right side of the heart. The first indications of this disorder are a heart murmur and signs of congestive heart failure. There is currently no cure for this, but your vet may prescribe diuretics to help relieve fluid retention. He may also recommend that you restrict your lab's exercise so that he doesn't put unneeded stress on his heart. Labradors with the mild form of TVD can often lead a full and normal life. Labs with the severe form will often develop congestive heart failure. However, with recent advances in medicine and treatments, they may still have a good quality of life for several months or even years. Now that we have discussed common health issues that can affect the Labrador Retriever, I want to share a couple of short stories with you starring this playful and energetic breed before wrapping up this episode. On September 11, 2001, Michael Hingson, along with his guide dog for the blind, Roselle, was working, as usual, on the 78th floor in Tower 1 of the World Trade Center in New York in the United States. When the plane struck, Roselle guided him through the building, down the stairwell, 1,463 steps to safety. The yellow Labrador Retriever led Hingson through the choking smoke and chaos and away from the building just before it collapsed. This is just one of the many ways that labs are used to help others. They have incredible work ethic, they are determined, strong, athletic, and loyal. Whether they are assisting law enforcement, assisting humans with special needs, hunting or tracking, the Labrador Retriever has so much to offer the right individual or family. 
People Magazine, also known as People.com, wrote an amazing story featuring an empathetic lab that saved kittens instead of a human. If you're watching on YouTube, get ready for some super cute pictures of these little kittens with their lab friend. It is ridiculously adorable. And if you are a listener, Birdie is a black lab or dark gray, and in the pictures you can see him with all of the kittens. Some of the kittens are brown, white, and black with tabby-like coats. One little baby is a tuxedo kitty with a black and white coat, and the other two cuties appear to be all black in the pictures. I have a tuxedo kitten of my own, and they are definitely as cute in person as this little one is in the picture. Birdie the Labrador Retriever helped his owner, Rachel, a head nurse at the animal rescue charity Battersea, raise seven motherless kittens so the baby animals could be adopted. A rescue dog paid it forward by looking after a litter of orphan kittens, according to a release from the UK animal rescue charity Battersea. Birdie, a one-year-old Labrador retriever, has helped the shelter that saved him by saving a litter of kittens that needed a surrogate parent. Birdie started looking after the seven kittens several weeks ago, shortly after the two-week-old litter was found on the side of the road with no mother in sight. The kittens were rushed to Battersea for an emergency veterinary exam, where vets determined the tiny felines were hungry but in overall good health. Birdie's mom, Ann Battersea, head nurse Rachel volunteered to take the kittens home and look after the animals with her lab until the baby cats were ready for adoption. These kittens have certainly been a handful from the early days when they needed bottle feeding around the clock to when they discovered the joys of climbing. Not only has Birdie helped the kittens become confident, sociable little cats, he's also kept me entertained, Rachel said in a statement about the care the kittens required. As a former Battersea resident himself, there's something particularly touching about seeing a rescue pet now helping to rescue other animals in need. I'm incredibly proud of Birdie for the way he has cared for the kittens over the last few weeks. At less than two years old, he's barely an adult himself, but you wouldn't think it when you see how incredibly patient and nurturing he has been, she added. Rachel and Birdie cared for the kittens until they could eat and use the litter box without assistance. Once the kittens were a bit more independent, the baby animals moved back to Battersea Shelter, and then they were found loving homes. Hand-rearing kittens is such a wonderfully rewarding experience. You get to help them grow from these tiny defenseless babies into unique characters ready for a loving home. I was sad to see them go, but I can take comfort in knowing that Birdie and I helped give them the best start in life. I suspect Birdie may also have been enjoying the peace and quiet once his young little friends had gone. He'd certainly earned it, Rachel said of the future. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the Labrador Retriever. If you were thinking about bringing a lab into your life or a lab mix, please, please, please consider adoption. 
there are hundreds of Labrador Retriever breed-specific rescues in the United States with so many special labs of all ages waiting for a forever home. Due to the experience and knowledge that is required to be a pet parent to a lab, you can easily find one in a local shelter or rescue near you. I've noticed that I do have some listeners in particular from other countries. I'm not sure what the accessibility is to this breed over there, but you can always contact your local rescues and tell them that you are looking for a particular breed and they can put you on a waiting list to give you a call to let you know if that breed comes in. This is also true for the United States as well. Please consider adopting or fostering a lab and help ease the pet overpopulation crisis and reduce euthanasia rates. In the United States in particular, euthanasia rates are incredibly high, so I always try to tell people that it is best to rescue. Be part of the solution and not the problem. If you are a viewer who enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe on YouTube. If you are a listener, please consider following the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts for new episodes every week where I bring you all things pets. These are free and easy ways to support the show. It means a lot to me and it helps to allow me to continue to push out new content and thoroughly research every single episode. We now have Pets Weekly merch, and you can find the link in the description of this episode. I worked very hard on the designs, two of them are of my own personal animals, and I would love for you to take a look at them and see their sweet little faces. You can find the YouTube video link for this episode in the description if you are listening, along with all of the references I used throughout my research. Please follow the podcast on Instagram at Pet Weekly Podcast for episode announcements and general podcast updates. Every episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sunshine's Pet Services, where I offer in-home pet services in the United States and Florida and virtual dog behavior consultations to every pet parent in the United States. For more information about my services and about me, please visit sunshinespetservices.com. Until we meet again, I challenge you to wake up in the morning and ask yourself how you can make your pet's life better every day. Thank you so much for joining me, and I will see you soon.